Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. And now, shining the spotlight on the future of hockey, the World Juniors. This is Brad Lambert from Team Finland. I'm Oscar Olesen from Team Sweden. Hey, this is Dylan Grand. Hi, I'm Lane Hudson from the U.S. National Team. Dion Mishak. Fabian Lucell. Cole Perfetti. Hey, it's Jake Sanson. I play for Team USA. Major Junior. Hey, this is Matthew Kachuk of the London Knights. I'm Jonathan Yerudo from the St. John's Sea Dogs. Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades. Hey, it's Alex Dabrinkit from the Erie Otters. Gerald Dubois from the Cape Breton Screen Eagles. It's Ashley LaRue from the Halifax Mooseheads. This is John Gunther of the Emerson Oil Kings. NCAA. Hey, this is Noah Hannafin from Boston College. Hey, it's Troy Terry from the Denver Pioneers. Quinn Hughes from the University of Michigan. This is Brock Faber from the University of Minnesota. It's Dylan Hollis from the Wisconsin Badgers. The NHL Draft. U.S. Lovkovsky from TPS. Hey, this is Kevin Krasinski of the Seattle Thunderbirds. Hey, guys, it's Cutter Goche from the U.S. National Team. Hi, it's Matt Savoy with the Winnipeg Ice. Hey, this is Sarah Manzel from Shaska High School. Nessa Goche. I play for the Quebec Ramparts. This is Ty Nelson from the North Bay Battalion. Hey, it's Dylan James from the Sioux City Musketeers. This is Rieger Lorenz from the Okotoks Oilers. And more. And welcome to the Pipeline Show. And this is the Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. Pipeline Show. The Pipeline Show. Well, good weekend, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Pipeline Show. My name is Gee Flaming. Thank you for tuning into this week's episode. Really appreciate it. Have some a solid guests lined up for you this week. But let's start with the reminder that The Pipeline Show brought to you by our title sponsor, which, of course, is Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com. That's the website. It's key because if you're going to order it, you can do so right from their website, and you have it shipped to you anywhere in western canada there are three locations in the edmonton area where you can go and pick up in person but if you're living in manitoba that doesn't do you any good or if you're in bc that doesn't do you any good so go to the website wilhockbeefjerky.com and they will have it shipped to you you will absolutely thank me for it as always let's start with the chl's top 10 this week and uh, as the new ranking they usually come out on uh, monday or tuesday i think it's tuesdays uh, when they come out well, this week, the Quebec Rampart are the new number one ranked team in the CHL. Winnipeg suffering a loss last weekend against the Saskatoon Blades, so they drop one spot. They're now number two. Meanwhile, Seattle moves up a spot. They are number three. Ottawa and Portland both drop down one. They are four and five, respectively. The Saskatoon Blades vault into the number six position. Sherbrooke comes in at number seven. Red Deer holds firm at number eight. Meanwhile, Saginaw moves into the number 9 spot, and uh, Victoriaville also goes up to the number 10 position. The Kamloops Blazers get an honorable mention this week, but playing some pretty good hockey, they just absolutely crushed the Regina Pats a couple of days ago in a rather lopsided game. Speaking of the Pats, as we look at the WHL uh, scoring leaders, Connor Bedard and the uh, Regina Pats, coming through Edmonton this weekend, it'll be the last chance for uh, fans here in the Edmonton area to watch Connor Bedard playing at the WHL level, at least in person, uh, because you know he's going to be in the NHL next year, so expecting a big crowd on Sunday. Uh, last I heard, already over 7,000 tickets uh, have been sold for that game. That could act- I-, I wouldn't be shocked if that gets up to 10. Well, Bedard continues to lead the WHL in scoring. He has 57 points in just 26 games. 24 of those are goals. Second in WHL scoring now is Andrew Crystal of the Kelowna Rockets. He has 43 points this year. A couple of 20-year-olds with the Winnipeg Ice. 
Wrapping up their WHL careers in a fine style, Owen Peterson and Connor McLennan have 39 and 38 points respectively. And don't look now, but Logan Stankoven is uh, rapidly uh, catching up to people. Remember, he came back from NHL camp late. He's only got into 17 games, but he's got 37 points. 15 of those are goals. He is now fifth in WHL scoring. The Edmonton Oil Kings making a couple of trades this week, as did the Kelowna Rockets, and uh, those two teams connected with one of those uh, deals. The Oil Kings sending 20-year-old Carson Golder and a third-round pick to the uh, Kelowna Rockets for Rylan Kovacevic. It looks like Kovacevic, but we're told that it's uh, pronounced Kovacevic. Uh, So he made his uh, Oil King debut a couple of uh, nights ago when Saskatoon was uh, in Edmonton. The Oil Kings also uh, making a a bigger move as they moved uh, Jackson Weeb and an eighth-round pick to the Prince George Cougars in exchange for a 20-year-old Noah Boyko and uh, four draft picks, two third-rounders, a fourth and a fifth. Uh, That is a very nice addition for the Prince George Cougars. That team just got a lot harder to play against. Jackson Weeb can't say enough about him. If he could avoid getting suspended, he is going to be a very valuable uh, addition to the Prince George Cougars. The other trade that Kelowna made was to send Nicholas Cristiano to the Victoria Royals in exchange for a couple of fifth-round picks. Busy week in the Ontario Hockey League for trades as well. Well, only a couple, really. Uh, Flint and Oshawa traded uh, players. Luca D'Amato and an eighth-round pick go from Flint to Oshawa in exchange for Blake Smith and a fifth-rounder. But then the one that was a bit more significant is uh, the Saginaw Spirit acquiring Hunter Haight from the Barry Colts, and that cost them five draft picks, three of them second-rounders and two third-round picks over the next three drafts. Meanwhile, on the ice, the uh, leading scorers in the Ontario Hockey League, Ty Voigt continues to lead the OHL in scoring. He has 40 points. Pavel Mintikov of the Saginaw Spirit has 35 as a defenseman. Danny Gorey of the uh, Owen Sound Attack has 34. So does Cedric Yindon uh, of Owen Sound and Logan Morrison of the Hamilton Bulldogs. They all have 34 points. And you got Colby Barlow from uh, Owen Sound with uh, 32 and Brennan Othman, the recent acquisition of the Peterborough Peets, also with 32 points. And the leading scorer in the queue is still Jordan Dumay of the Halifax Mooseheads, who has 54 points. That's 10 more than uh, Alexander Doucette from Val d'Or. He has 44. Joshua Roy from Sherbrooke has 40, as does Max Pellerin from Victoriaville and Riley Kidney of the uh, Titan, the Acadie Bathurst Teton. In Junior A news in uh, Canada, the World Junior A Challenge uh, roster, uh, at least the camp rosters, have been announced for Teams Canada West and East. Don't know much about the Eastern players, and it's pretty spread out across the uh, the leagues that make up the CJHL in the eastern half of the country. Now, the Canada West uh, camp roster, 31 players invited, only one of them from Manitoba, and only four from Saskatchewan. Every other player is from the Alberta Junior Hockey League. It looks really weird, and a lot of people are saying, well, that, why do you leave the BCHL out? Well, the BCHL pulled themselves out of the Canadian Junior Hockey League, so I'm sure they would uh, love to be able to invite some of the players who are playing in the BCHL. But instead, you got three goaltenders uh, all coming to the camp. They're all AJHLers. Every defenseman invited to camp, they're all from the AJHL. Interestingly, the head coach for Team Canada West 
is Justin Falk from the uh, Winkler Flyers in the Manitoba Junior Hockey League. If the lone MJHL player doesn't make the team, that's uh, Ty Paisley from the Steinbeck Pistons. If he doesn't make it, they're going to have a head coach who may, I, unless he has previous experience with any of these players, won't have any experience, won't have familiarity at least this season with any of the players uh, on his team. So that's a little weird. The Swedish roster was named last week. The U.S. roster was named a few weeks back. Uh, that tournament gets started here in about uh, 10 days' time. I think we'll do more on that with the next week's show. We'll see if we can get some players on who are involved in the tournament. I was hoping to have one of the Swedish players on this week, but that uh, did not come to fruition. Uh, speaking of international hockey, as we're now officially into December, World Junior Month here on the uh, Pipeline Show. But the uh, camp invites haven't been sent out yet. I saw Scott Wheeler from The Athletic tweeting out that he's hearing the the camp rosters will be announced uh, next week for both Canada and the United States. So then we'll get into it uh, a lot more after that. Meanwhile, in the BCHL, the Penticton Bees continue to be red hot 23-0 to begin the season. The Nanaimo Clippers would be the next best team in the BCHL. They're 18-4. The Surrey Eagles are 16-4. Both of those teams having great years, uh, but uh, they're not perfect like the Penticton Vs are at this point of the season. And uh, leading the way in scoring in the BCHL continues to be draft-eligible Bradley Nadeau from the Vs. He's tied, though, with his brother. Josh has caught up to him. They both have 48 points. Meanwhile, in the Alberta Junior Hockey League, Aiden Fink has a, uh, a big lead in uh, scoring in the HHL. He's got 66 points in 31 games. He's been invited to uh, try to crack the Canada West squad. Would have to think he's got a pretty good chance of doing that. Calgary product is uh, slated to join the Wisconsin Badgers. Not a big guy, 5'8 and 150 pounds, but he is having a monster season in the AJHL. Looking at the top scorers in the United States Hockey League, Jack Harvey of the Chicago Steel continues to lead things. He's got 30 points. Cole Knubel. Of the Fargo Force is next with 27. Michael Emerson of the Chicago Steel has uh, 24. And then it's a three-way tie next. Jaden Perron from Chicago has 23, as does Max Swanson of Fargo. And uh, import Miko Matika, a place for the Madison Capitals, has 23 points. Uh, Nick Moldenauer has dropped off a bit. I think he's uh, he might be banged up because uh, the Steel have played 19 games. He's only played 16, and he kind of... He's getting passed in the uh, scoring race, so I'm assuming he is on the shelf. Christian Catalano of the Maryland Black Bears, he was on the show about a month ago. He still leads the North American Hockey League. The Ontario product has 20 goals and uh, 34 points uh, through 26 games uh, with the uh, Maryland Black Bears. Catalano is uh, headed to RIT next season. Now the USCHO uh, Top 20 poll for the NCAA Division I men's uh, hockey Coming into this weekend, I thought Minnesota might uh, retake their number one spot, but in fact, they actually dropped from three to four because they lost the second half of their uh, series last weekend against Arizona State. Actually, they dropped from uh, two to four. Uh, meanwhile, the Denver Pioneers actually held on to that number one position. Quinnipiac goes up to number two from four. St. Cloud holds firm at three. So then you've got Minnesota, followed by Michigan and Penn State, Harvard, Connecticut, Boston University, and Providence coming in at number 10. Minnesota State, Merrimack, Michigan State, Western Michigan, Massachusetts is 15. 
The Riverhawks from UMass Lowell are at 16. And Ohio State, Northeastern, Michigan Tech, and uh, rounding out the top 20 this week is Notre Dame. And lastly, when you look at the uh, top scorers at the Division I level, a couple of Canadians continuing to lead the way. Ryan McAllister from the Western Michigan Broncos has 29 points in just 16 games. He is uh, followed by Adam Fantilli from the University of Michigan. He's got 25 points. Both of those guys, freshmen. Jason Poland from uh, Western Michigan has uh, 23 points. He is uh, third in scoring. Mackie Samuskevich has 21, as does Aiden McDonough of Northeastern. Samuskevich plays uh, with the Wolverines. And uh, Jordan Bureau, who's also Canadian from the Edmonton area, uh, he's at AIC. He has 21 points. Max Sasson of the Western Michigan Broncos, also 21 points. All my guests join me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Craft beverages worth sharing. And you can get your craft beverages. You can order them online at troubledmonk.com slash shop. And then you can go pick up those orders right at the Tap Room in Red Deer or at the Bountiful Farmer's Market in Edmonton or down at the Calgary Farmer's Market in, guess where, Calgary. Whether it's soda or spirits or, of course, craft beer, can't go wrong with Troubled Monk. Got three guests for you on this week's uh, show. A couple of lengthy uh, interviews in this week's episode. We're going to begin things off with uh, Brennan Sani. He is the head coach of the Saskatoon Blades. That team playing very well this year. So we'll get the coach's insight on his team. And also, uh, we talk a lot about his uh, path from WHL player to uh, assistant coach in the WHL, then a head coach over in France, and now back in the WHL as a head coach for the first time. Really interesting conversation. Uh, I think you're going to enjoy that one a lot. Then we've got the 2023 Draft Spotlight. I mentioned Ryan McAllister. He is on the program this week, uh, the Western Michigan Broncos uh, star freshman. And you know what? I said that it's a Draft Spotlight. I, I keep forgetting. He's actually, he'll be too old for the draft now. So he's a free agent. So I guess I can't call it a Draft Spotlight segment. And then we'll uh, wrap up this week's uh, episode with the voice of the North Bay Battalion, one of the top clubs in the OHL this year. Uh, his name is Matt Sukram. So we got a busy show. We're going to kick it off with Brennan Sani of the Saskatoon Blades. He's up first here on this week's episode of the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. This is Logan Stankoven. I play for the Cowboys Blazers. The Blazers, Stankoven, left wing, trying to work around Dory. And does uh, Stankoven and shoots! And this is the Pipeline Show. Since 1965, Wilhawk Beef Jerky has provided fresh, top-quality beef jerky made with 100% Alberta beef. From your very first bite, you'll understand that real jerky isn't found at the convenience store. It's tender, full of flavor, with just a hint of subtle spices. Wilhawk's jerky is aged, seasoned, and marinated to lock in the flavors, and then smoked to perfection. Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It might just be the best you've ever tasted. Try for yourself. Search W-I-L-H-A-U-K today. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I can't sugarcoat this. 
We are at threat level midnight. Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with E. Flaming. Of course, the program brought to you by Wilhawk Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. You can get it anywhere in Western Canada, though, but you have to order it from their website. It's at wilhawkbeefjerky.com, W-I-L-H-A-U-K, beefjerky.com. All right, uh, next up, uh, we're going to chat some uh, WHL as uh, the Edmonton Oil Kings, the Saskatoon Blades meeting this week. Uh, th- that'll be a Wednesday night game. Now, the show will come out probably on Friday, except for subscribers, so we'll get to hear it here uh, or shortly after I uh, record this interview. Uh, but uh, on Wednesday night, the uh, Blades are in town to take on the Oil Kings. Teams going in probably two different directions uh, this season as Saskatoon's playing some really good hockey. Sitting fourth overall in the WHL right now, uh, and uh, there isn't a team in the league that has allowed fewer goals this season, and I would have to think that's a big chunk of the reason why this team is having success. Let's ask the head coach, as I'm pleased to be joined now by Brennan Sonny, the uh, head coach of the Blades. Uh, coach, welcome to the program. How are you? Ah, thank you so much for having me. I'm fantastic, thanks. Uh, well, I appreciate you making the time like this uh, right before the game. You guys uh, just got off the bus, arrived in Edmonton, out for a team meal, and you're making time for the show. I appreciate that. Uh, tell me about this season for the Blades, and you heard me uh, starting it off talking about the goals against. Uh, only 44 goals against, I believe, uh, this year, and that's the best in the league. Uh, how big of a reason for your success is that? Uh, very big, very big. If uh, you go to, you know, the, the you know how every coach kind of gets interviewed about, like, season predictions sure. and the, the preview and all that? Yeah. If you go back to mine and read what I said, I said – uh, very, very early, even before the season started, I said, I thought coming in to camp that we would take a, a step. And now I kind of think we're going to take a little bit of a leap. And I thought that at that time, and it's kind of held true because last year we were one of the youngest teams in the league. I think we were second or third youngest. Mm-hmm. And we returned just most of our team. We didn't lose very many guys. And people that follow junior hockey know that the older you are, generally the better your record is. And we were returning some high end guys. Um, So we definitely thought being older and everyone having a year with a new staff, new coach, uh, young players, we just felt that we were in really good shape to, to take a leap. And from our, from our back end, returning so many guys, our front end, and then, you know, a lot of people thought the question mark was for us in net. Yep. But we were really excited about having uh, Chatty and Elliot. We we thought both of them had a ton of potential. They both move really well. They're both athletic. Um, you go from having a starter and Nolan Meyer to just kind of, hey, let's just see what plays out here. And we've actually just done the rotation the entire year because they pushed each other and they've both had tremendous star- uh, starts of keeping the puck out of the net. So, um, it wasn't it wasn't a surprise to this organization where we're at now and where we feel our team is. Uh, quite honestly, I think I think more the outside people would be a little surprised from what I'm hearing. But for us, this is kind of where we thought we'd be, to be honest. Well, you got to think it was fair to have a question mark next to your goaltender because you had Nolan Meyer and he'd played so much for you. It's not that people were saying, "Well, these guys can't do it," but they hadn't done it yet. So when Ethan Chadwick comes in as you know, he's going to play a lot more this year. And, and Austin Elliott's a, I mean, he's a rookie for Pete's sake, but it's, it was more, can they do it as opposed to, I don't think they can do it. 
and now that they're proven that they can, I mean, that's it's just solidified your team with everything else that you had said. But you, you understand why there was a question mark, right? I, yeah, for sure, because you're going to an unknown right. uh, from the outside. For us, for us, we saw these kids. We saw these kids in practice. Hmm. Um, we, sh- we shot on them ourselves. And you can actually tell when you're shooting on guys in practice and how they work in practice, uh, how they move, they're, they're skating. Those, those things you can tell what, in my opinion, what a goalie can be and, and what they're projected to be a little bit. So I understand. Uh, I understand the question mark and going into the unknown, but for us, we kind of did know, uh, you know, yeah. and the fact that we were returning so many guys that now have a year with me and are older and more mature, we felt that we could decrease our chances, which we've done fairly dramatically as well to, to help those guys out. I get it. Uh, behind the curtain, you guys know what's going on better than anybody else. So that makes sense when you describe it. Uh, like that. Uh, interesting that, as you mentioned, you're going back and forth between guys. How do you pick as as a, a coach who's going to play what night? It started as just uh, the first game of the season. Chatty's going to start, and we kind of had a plan organizationally to give them both a solid, you know, start of rotations, eight to ten games uh, to evaluate. It was just an evaluation to see where we were at. And we kind of thought that at some point someone would, you know, clearly you know, take the lead. But that hasn't happened. And so now what we're doing is discussing it as a staff with our goalie coach, Jeff Harvey, with our, with our staff, you know, what we think is best. And as of right now with our schedule and, and games and stuff, um, we don't really see unless that takes place where someone is clearly we're like, oh, we think he gives us the best chance to win. We kind of like the lack of uh, fatigue, to be quite honest. That was a concern with Meyer, and it's been a concern with other goalies in the league that, that I've had where they get overplayed and the fatigue and a little bit com- of complacency can come in. So we like that our goalies aren't tired. And until we evaluate that it's time that someone has really taken the lead, then we probably will continue down this path. Does the team play any different, or do you set up systems any different uh, depending on which goaltender is in net, or does it does it change anything? Absolutely not. Right. That would be amazing if coaches could change game to game, <laughs> uh, but I don't think they can. It's, you kind of have the way you play, and you try and do it really, really well. You might adjust a thing or two based on the competition, or if you have a long time to prepare, you might you know, uh, hey, we're going to try this breakout or we're doing this or whatever, but you can't change too much from from what you're just really good at. Brennan Sonny is the head coach of the Saskatoon Blades, uh, the uh, top 10 in the CHL rankings just coming out, and uh, Saskatoon up to number 6 now in the national rankings. I don't know if things like that matter much to you, but it's good to get that national recognition, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, no, I don't. It, it's Last year we were ranked nationally early, and then we lost eight of the next ten. <laughs> so I we try not we don't pay attention to it, frankly. Although this year when it happened, we it was more of a warning than anything mm. uh, that we have to keep working because you know now teams chase you and you have to just run faster. So uh, as a coach, when you get ranked nationally, it's almost more of a headache because then you have to uh, make sure everyone's focused and and it's just another thing to worry about. So. Uh, I love it for the guys. I, I love it for the confidence. Um, but you have to make sure you're just working and don't think that you can just show up and, and be really good.
Coach, uh, your offensive uh, leaders this year, I mean, guys like Trevor Wong and Brian Lesowski and the, the newly recently acquired Connor Roulette, you knew you were going to get all those guys and they were going to be where they are uh, for you offensively. Uh, having to do it without Igor Sidorov for a while uh, and getting him back now, and he's got 21 points in 10 games. I mean, this is a guy, I'm, I was shocked that he didn't get drafted last year. Uh, and I imagine that's a, uh, a chip on his shoulder that is uh, working to his benefit and to the benefit of the team. For those who haven't had a chance to watch Cedaroff play, can you give us a, a bit of a scouting report? He skates really well. He protects the puck even better. He shoots it like a cannon, and he has the, the, the whimsy and creativity about him to make highlight reel plays. Um, I was absolutely shocked he wasn't drafted. Just based on the fact that you know, he didn't speak English when he came, and that's a fairly typical trajectory for Euros that come over where they don't produce immediately. But just the way he skated and his size and shot, I was absolutely shocked that he wasn't drafted. When teams asked me about him, I always said, oh, he's the dark horse. He's, he's a draft guy. He's an NHL player. Um, I think what you're seeing now is just a continuation of comfort, learning English, learning North American hockey, learning small ice, understanding his teammates, understanding the system. But he, he's a phenomenal hockey player. Um, yeah, like I said, skates well, shoots it like a cannon, creative and protects the puck really, really well. Do you think there's a possibility that his passport worked against him, just with the geopolitical landscape uh, that we're facing uh, these days? It, could that be a, a factor? It would be pure pure speculation from my end, because I'm not in any of those meetings. Sure. It would hard. It would be hard for me to imagine that it didn't play a factor uh, for some organizations. It would be hard for me to think it didn't. But again, that that's just pure speculation. Okay. Uh, for those who don't know, he's not Russian. He's from Belarus, uh, Igor Sidorov. Uh, what else is going right for your team right now? I, I have to think that you're pretty pleased with the way things are going. But as a coach, I'm sure there are always aspects of the game that you would like to see improvement on. Uh, but maybe from your perspective, uh, what's gone right? Our dressing room is incredibly healthy. And I'm not talking about COVID. Um, <laughs> I'm talking about how tight we are. You know, as as a coach, you're always, and as a staff, you're always correcting things, and that can wear you down. We try to find the balance of uh, corrections, uh, but on top of that, positive reinforcement. But I just think the players, now that they understand how we want to do business, they just fully embraced it, and they are so tight in there. They are just such a, a good group of kids that really care about each other. So when you're going through rough times, it doesn't last very long because like if you don't play a good game, for example, say you don't work hard one game and we go in as a staff and show them that and, you know, kind of want a response, man, do they respond? Like it's not, it's not very long that they are off the tracks for it. Like they come together, they listen, they agree. And then they face um, poor performances head on and want to be better. So it just overall, it's the team aspect. We have a really good hockey team, and our dressing room is extremely healthy. You, a little bit a while ago, you mentioned uh, the all the returning players you had from last year. You also had some new faces: Connor Roulette coming in via trades. The same with Justin Lees and and uh, Blake Gustafson here since the uh, season started. Because of how tight knit your room is, does that help those guys fit in right away, or uh, do you play a role in that as head coach, or do you let the players kind of handle that? I think just the way we, we are, uh, we encourage guys' personalities. That's It's really important to me and to our staff and to this organization that 
uh, people are themselves. And so we encourage that. And everyone we've brought in has brought their personality um, full on. And it's been embraced in the room and it's added so much, you know. Uh, and each of those guys, Rue and, and Gus and Leezer, they're, they're all different human beings, but they add such a, uh, a fun character and personality to our dressing room. It just makes our dressing room better. Brennan Sani is my guest. He's the head coach of the Saskatoon Blades, a former WHLer himself. Uh, played most of his time in the WHL as a member of the Everett Silvertips, but uh, wore a Red Deer Rebels jersey for 15 games and ended your uh, WHL career with the Edmonton Oil Kings. Uh, Brennan, uh, I was telling you before we started recording, it, it doesn't seem to be all that long ago that I was watching you play as a, a member of the Oil Kings in that first uh, expansion season. It just tells me how much, or reminds me how much older I am now. But does it seem like it was that long ago you were uh, on the ice as a player? It does seem like a long time ago. It does. It does. Yeah, a lot yeah. of things have happened uh, for me personally and in my life. So it, when you go through a bunch of milestones, then the, the ones that are further back do seem a little further back to me. <laughs> uh, it does seem like a while ago that I was in Edmonton playing. Well, what I remember from you as a player, and obviously we knew you were a tough physical guy, but you're a heart and soul type of player as well. And I, and I, I got the sense watching the Oil Kings that year that there were, you know, a lot of guys. It was an expansion team. Some guys just playing out the string of their WHL uh, eligibility. And then you arrived, and it seemed like th- there was some leadership there. And you were a guy who was sort of the emotional uh, engine for that team down the stretch. And even though you were playing out the the end of your eligibility, it didn't seem like that. Was that just the way you played? Was that common for you? Was that something that uh, you felt was your job to be a motivator for the team? How did, what was your mindset coming into Edmonton? My mindset, well, that's just kind of my personality. Um, I have always loved teams. I've loved being a part of a team, and I never cared what capacity, um, whether I was the top scorer, which was a lot more rare, or a penalty killer, or a fighter, or whatever I had to be. I just loved having a role on a team and being a part of a team. And so that's kind of just my personality it's the same now I love being a part of this team and you know coaching staffs are their own little team and I love coming to the rink every day with with Dan and and Wace and and Boosh and all the staff here like it's our own little team and I just love being a part of it um so that's just kind of my personality I've always loved being a part of teams interesting well you certainly made your mark with the Oil Kings that year Uh, then you went and played three years at the University of British Columbia correct me if I'm wrong did you go to Hong Kong and and play for a year as well pro I did so I played at UBC for three years and then I stopped playing but I I went to university for two more years after okay I was just kind of getting into my field I was taking a social sciences degree and I started working at a nonprofit youth center um working and helping people working with and helping people has always been what I wanted to do. It's for sure why I'm on this planet. And so that's where it started. And then uh, I started coaching a, just a minor hockey team in Vancouver while I was going to university and working. And from there, a little bit snowballed. I, I coached a spring team after, and then um, Adam Maglio, which is a name Mm -hmm. you would know. uh, We went to UBC together and he, he was in Hong Kong the year previous, and he asked if I wanted to go over with him and work at a hockey academy. So we went over together, and that lasted for a year. And then 
when I came back, I was kind of like, okay, what's, ne- what's next? And it just so happens that uh, I had bumped into Kevin Constantine at a coach's conference the year previous or the summer previous. And I was on the golf course and I got a phone call from Kevin and he asked if I'd want to interview for the assistant job in Everett. And so I was in my car the next day down there, um, begging Gary and Kevin for the job. So, uh, so yeah, that's kind of how that worked out. And did you know at that uh, before that meeting with Kevin Constantine that coaching was something you wanted to get into as a as a career? I, I wasn't a hundred percent certain on that. It wasn't until Everett that I, you know, me and my wife really kind of said, okay, well, this is what the lifestyle is. Can we do this? Uh, what's the future? What's the ten year plan? Blah blah blah. But after Hong Kong, it wasn't certain. There was there was a few other things I was exploring and looking at, and pretty much that phone call cemented what my career would be. I would say um, when Kevin called me, that that changed my career path. Well, three years I spent on the bench uh, in Everett, and then uh, four years as the head coach in Angers, France. Uh, how did that opportunity come to you? And I, I'm wondering how those four years have sort of molded you as a coach moving forward. That came up. Uh, Kevin actually had coached in France on that team for about six weeks. And then Jay Verity, Jay Verity, who was a longtime assistant, was my coach in Everett, actually coached that team for two years. And his assistant at the time then turned into the general manager who reached out to Jay years later and said, I'm looking for a North American coach. Hmm. And Jay forwarded uh, Mitch Love's number. And I know Mitch wasn't interested, but we were working together at the time and I actually, the best man at my wedding was on that team. So I'd been to Angers before. Wow. And I just kind of got the number and talked to Simone and worked through Jay a little bit. And I got that job. And that was such an incredible four years of my life, uh, hockey and personally. Um, the hockey was an adjustment. I mean, imagine Euros coming here and the shock. Well, it's the same thing going the other way. Sure. When you're used to the Western League and then you're coaching pro in Europe. And in France, where I didn't speak the language either. Um, and the staffs are really small, and it was my first time being a head coach, and now I'm coaching professionals and you know guys that have NHL games and some high-end players, guys that are on the French national team, things like that. So just like anything, you, you just go in as prepared as you can, ask as many questions as you can to all your coaching friends, and just work your butt off. And that's kind of what I did. And it didn't start great. We started, I think, six and eleven, and the the owner of the team called me in, and I was like, "Oh boy!" And <laughs> I told my wife, "Okay, keep keep your job back in Van because I'm getting fired now." <laughs> and uh, he asked me, uh, his question was, "Is is there anything we can do to help you turn this around?" And so I had a couple things for him, but uh, from there we won, I think, eight straight or seven straight, and we ended up uh, well above five hundred. So. From there, it kind of turned, and then the subsequent years, the, the GM and I were really close, and we we brought in some really high-end players, and um, we started having a ton of success there by the end. Uh, I think I we had an 11-game winning streak uh, in my final year before COVID shut us down again for the second time. Mm-hmm. Um, but just an amazing experience. Like, Europe, France, it's just an incredible place. It's beautiful. Um, it's such a cool way to live. And the hockey there is really good, and people don't really give it the what it's due, to be quite honest, because it's really good. 
So was there a bit of a readjustment to come back to Major Junior and coach at this level, or did it feel almost like returning to you know a, a comfortable pair of pants or something like that, just a, a good fit? Um, well, I mean, there's there's always adjustments when you move from country to country. I mean, just moving in the same city is enough stress, but moving from country to country and you know buying a house and figuring out where everything is, yeah. who your new team is, and all the staff and stuff like that. That's that's always really difficult. I would say that I definitely got used to the, the pro guys because you just treat them a little different, right? They're, a lot of them are married. Most of my team was older than me. Uh, most of my team had kids and stuff like that. So you get used to interacting with them more on a equal footing, I would say. Right, right. I mean, you're still the coach and you – decide contracts a little bit and ice time and which dictates what their contracts are but your just interactions with them are different whereas me myself i don't view myself as an intimidating person and i don't try to be scary at all that's just not who i am um but when you're working with guys that are a little bit younger i just think it's natural that they they kind of look at you that way uh, you're just an older guy you're a hockey coach and uh, so I, I would just say that coming back as a head coach in the major junior, the, the adjustment would just be probably more them getting used to me that I'm not that I'm not the, the mean scary head coach that, you know, some coaches are or players think their coaches are um, just getting to know me a little bit. And as well as the staff and, and the organization, just getting to know me. Um, Cause I coach very much the same. It's not like I came here and was like, okay, well, now let's do this. You know, it's not like you throw everything out. You keep most of what you do. and Your personality is always the same. So it's just an adjustment. That's all of getting to know each other and personalities and expectations and things like that. Well, last one I was going to ask you was, you know, you as a player, Brendan Sonny as a player compared to Brendan Sonny as a coach, you talked about not being an intimidating coach. Uh, but as a player, you certainly were, and you could be aggressive and physical and obviously weren't afraid to drop the gloves. Do you share some similarities to you as a player or as a coach? Do you want to have a different team? Like, does the, the team usually takes on the, the sort of the personality or the identity of the coach? Should we expect the Saskatoon Blades to be a, a, a hard-nosed team at, like you were as a player, or is it a little different now that you're the coach? See, all that stuff that you're describing with me as a player, Yeah. Um, maybe from the outside that, Oh, he was scary or he did this. Like that all boiled down to passion. Wow. Um, I just always did uh, what I had to for the team. And again, it goes back to whatever that means. If it means scoring goals, great. If it means fighting, so be it. That's just being passionate about your teammates. So I would say the, the parallels between me as a player and me as a coach are just passion. I'm just really passionate about teammates team and I, I do whatever it takes to help this team be successful um it has nothing to do with enjoying fighting because fighting's not very fun it has nothing <laughs> to do with enjoying blocking shots it's just being really passionate i think it's one of the things that so many players um whether they don't have it in them or they don't realize like it's just totally in your control how you wake up and and approach the day and coming to the rink and being extremely passionate about getting better and being around your teammates, I think is just really in your control a lot of the times. Now there's everyone has bad days and things like that, but I just think that we're so lucky and fortunate to be playing hockey and around the rink where there's so many other people around the planet that don't have that opportunity 
uh, I struggle at times to understand why you wouldn't just be extremely happy and passionate about doing that, to be honest. So that's the only parallels. It's just about passion. Coach, listen, I really appreciate your time. We went a long time. You're a generous. Uh, I appreciate it. Uh, I wish you the best of luck the rest of the way this season. I, I, I really enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for making the time. Oh, anytime. That was Brennan Sonny, the head coach of the Saskatoon Blades. Man, I really enjoyed uh, listening to him. I was really impressed uh, with uh, some of the things he had to say. Reminded me a lot of Rocky Thompson, and I told him that after our uh, conversation was over. That expansion year for the Oil Kings, uh, Rocky was the assistant coach that year, so so he was there when uh, Brennan was there as uh, Brennan Sonny ended his WHL uh, career with the Oil Kings. And uh, Brennan confirmed. He said, that, yeah, Rocky really made an impression on him. They sound very similar. The passion, uh, quite obvious uh, when you speak with both of them. Enjoyed that conversation a lot. That was terrific. All right, next up, we're going to go to the Ontario Hockey League and the North Bay Battalion having a really strong season. The play-by-play man there is Matt Sukram. It'll be his first time on the Pipeline Show. We'll get to know him next. You're listening to the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Willock Beef Jerky. And Doc will get back to it. Doc at his blue line. Comes to center. Ducks around Leeson. In over the line on the wing. Trying to go wide around. Pahal gets in front. Shoots and scores! Ah! Oh, let's go! Kirby Doc puts hand to the ear as if to listen for the booze from the crowd here at the Art Harris Center. But what a brilliant individual effort by Kirby Doc. And the Blades have opened the scoring in Game 2 in Prince Albert. I'm Kirby Dock of the Saskatoon Blades, and this is the Pipeline Show. Oscar from Atchison loves Wilhawk beef jerky. I'll never forget it. (laughs) Heading to the lake. Three screaming kids in the back. Let's get ice cream, we said. Sour, soupy sundaes all over the van. But then I found Wilhawk beef jerky. Tender, seasoned pieces of meat smoked to perfection. Perfect for keeping little mouths busy. And best of all, no sloppy surprises. And I always make sure to bring a little extra to eat around the campfire. Thanks, Wilhawk. Wilhawk beef jerky. It's the best. You're listening to the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. Yes! That's awesome! Hey, we're back on the Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, but this is an NCAA campus report, and those segments always come courtesy of our friends at College Hockey, Inc. If you're a player or you have one in your family, there are some things you need to know that you can and can't do to uh, maintain your NCAA eligibility. You can get in contact with anybody over at College Hockey, Inc. If you have questions, and they can uh, help answer those for you or just visit their website at collegehockeyinc.com. We are going to talk with a player who uh, is playing college hockey this year and uh, having a fantastic uh, start to this season, and he's coming off of a wonderful year in the Alberta Junior Hockey League. Here's the uh, here's the list of accomplishments from last year. Uh, AJHL All-Star, AJHL Champion, AJHL's most assists last year, most points in the league last year. He was the MVP of the of the season and of the playoffs in the AJHL, then went on, was a top forward at the Centennial Cup, and hey, uh, top it all off for the CJHL MVP. And uh, now, what's he do for an encore? Well, Ryan McAllister is leading the NCAA in scoring as a freshman 
with the Western Michigan Broncos. Uh, Ryan, this is a hell of a season for you. I'm going to call you a liar if you tell me you thought you'd be uh, sitting in the in top spot here in in scoring. Uh, you know, a couple of months into the season, though. How's how's things? <laughs> yeah, things are uh, things are going great right now, and uh, yeah, I, I don't think I I would have imagined my, myself to be in the position I am right now, but you know, it's uh, it's going well. Well, tell me why you think it's it's got off to you've got off to such a great start. I mean, a lot of guys talk about how it's such a big step up from playing junior to the NCAA. Now you're coming in as a 20 year old, you're not an 18 or a 19 year old, but still, I mean, it, it's a big jump, and yet you seem to be clearing that hurdle without a whole lot of difficulty. Yeah, you know, obviously uh, playing with two great players and uh, Max Sass and, and Jason Pole it helps a lot. But but you know, uh, I've always uh, had this little confidence to myself and, and in my game that that I can produce at a lot of levels, and I think that's uh, that's showing right now. All right. Well, the, the team right now is sitting in second in the NCHC, which, uh, for those who don't know, awfully strong conference. I mean, that you really can't afford to take a night off uh, in that conference. There, Everybody's capable of winning, uh, and there's no upsets. I mean, you're, you're playing against powerhouse clubs every weekend, right? Of course, yeah. I, I would say the NCHC is, uh, is definitely uh, one of, if not the best, uh, conference in college hockey for sure. Well, you can look at North Dakota, who is a perennial powerhouse, is in seventh in an eight-team conference right now. That's how good that conference can be. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you guys are having a terrific year. Uh, how many uh, familiar faces are are with the Broncos? Are, are there guys there that uh, that you knew before arriving? Yeah. So actually, I I ended up knowing uh, Cole Birch. We actually are from a similar place, and I'm from London. He's from Toronto, which is about an hour and hour and a half away from each other but we uh we've played spring hockey together since we, we were about 11 and you know we, we we haven't seen each other in a while but when we got back to campus it, it was like we uh we never split up there all right well it's cool to have a familiar uh somebody that you know anyway because you're not just leaving the, the the league and league leaving the country but uh, i mean it's a lot to take in in your first year uh playing college hockey what is the big difference what uh, can you describe it for somebody that maybe is going to be going uh, and playing NCAA hockey, what what are they in for? What's the biggest uh, thing that maybe surprised you? Yeah, I would just say the uh, the time and space, and, and you know the strength. It's uh it's when you get in those corners, it's it's really hard to get out of that that spot with the big defenseman on there and and on you. But but you know I I feel like the adjustment is it only takes a couple games if if you know you you just got to believe in yourself and and you know you'll be great. Tell me about the uh, what the atmosphere is like at an NCAA game. I've had the opportunity to go down a couple of times and and take in games. And I thought it was fantastic. And, uh, you know, up here in Canada, we don't necessarily see that same sort of, you know, with the marching bands and, and uh, the fan sections or the student sections, rather. Uh, and my understanding is that Western Michigan, the, the student section is pretty remarkable. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, you know, uh, here at Western Michigan, we have the, the Lawson Lunatics, which which I would call and a lot of other people would call the, the best student section in college hockey. And, and you know, I think the band and, and the student sections, they just they just add another element to the game and, you know, it's it's exciting when you score, even even at home or away, to to you know let the opposing fans know, or, or you know, and the band just the band the band gets you fired up sometimes, but it's uh it's special. Ryan, when you uh, arrived at Western Michigan this uh, this year to uh, to join the the Broncos, I don't know what your expectations were at the start of the year. A lot of guys as freshmen have to kind of work their way into the roster and and find that niche role for themselves so they can get in and play every night. You're obviously contributing in a massive way early on. What were your expectations? Did, did, were you given some sort of idea? Okay, this is what you should expect when you get here. Let's, you know, you were one of the top scorers in junior hockey last year, uh, but maybe that might not be exactly what you should expect this year. W- what were your expectations coming in? 
yeah, you know, I, I didn't really know what, what was going to happen after, after my junior season ended. And, and you know, I just kind of want to take a little time this summer, but, but me and, uh, me and my coach Pat first, first Weiler, sorry, we had a, we had a lot of conversations about, about what he expected out of me and, and you know, what, what role I was going to play coming in. And, and, you know, it was my job to keep it. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I was blessed with a lot of opportunity coming in and, and, you know, I think I'm, I'm just running with it at this point. All right. And you mentioned your line mates a, a little while ago, the three of you, uh, certainly uh, clicking for sure. Uh, what is it about the chemistry between the three of you that seems to work? Can you put a, what's, you know, the secret, the, the secret to the sauce? Yeah. You know, I just think all three of us, uh, we mesh together so well. Max Sasson down the middle. He's a, he's a great player. He's, he does everything right in the defensive zone and, and, you know, he's really fast and, and, you know, he's dangerous as well with his speed and, and, you know, Jason Poland over there on the right wing, he, he's got a hell of a shot. He can, he can score in, in any way. He can, he can beat you off the rush in front of the net. And, and, you know, he's just, he, he does everything right. He's, he's an unbelievable player. And, and myself, I, I love to make plays. I love to have the puck on my stick and, you know, I love to find those too. Uh, as I'm speaking with uh, Ryan McAllister, forward with the Western Michigan Broncos here on the Pipeline Show in our NCAA segment, uh, joining me courtesy the Troubled Monk Hotline. Uh, Ryan, for those who don't know, uh, you, you mentioned it a little while ago, you're from Ontario, uh, London, Ontario, but you played your junior hockey out here. In fact, even before Alberta, you were playing in the BCHL a little bit. So quite the uh, the path to get to where you are now. Maybe take us back a little bit. Uh, you're from London. You had an opportunity to play in the OHL. Did you know back then that you'd always wanted to go the college route? I mean, you're a high pick by the Sudbury Wolves in second round that year. Um, did you know at the time of the OHL uh, priority selection that uh, college hockey was the right fit for you? Uh, no, actually, I didn't. I didn't really know what I wanted to do if it if it was the OHL or, or you know if it was college. But you know, I think I'm a little bit of a late bloomer. So I was I was playing junior B in London at, at 17 and. And, you know, I was approached by, by uh, Western Michigan and, you know, I talked to, talked to my advisor that I had at the time and, and you know, I just thought it was, uh, it, was a, it was a good decision to, to, you know, take the longer route and, and go to NCAA. So. If the London Knights had drafted you instead of Sudbury and you got to play at home, would that have made a difference? <laughs> I don't know. You know, I, I, always, I always went to those London Knights games as a kid and, yeah. you know, I was mesmerized by, by Marner, Domi, Dvorak and, you know that whole thing—they they sell out every every game pretty much, and, and you know that rink is is unbelievable. But you know I'm I'm glad to be in the in the position I am today. What led you to the BCHL? I know uh, COVID was happening right around that time, so the OHL didn't play. But that was the following year, the 2021 season. There was no OHL yep. year. Uh, what led you out to the BCHL, where you played for the uh, Prince George Spruce Kings? Yeah, you know I was I was just approached after after my junior B season and. You know, I knew hockey, hockey, uh, junior hockey out west in, in the BC and Alberta was, was, you know, a little bit better than, than Ontario or, or, you know, somewhere out in Ottawa. So I just really wanted to, to get out there and, and, you know, Prince George coming off that, that championship season that they had, I, I thought it would be a, a great fit. So, you know, I just, I, I took my talents over there. Now you were only there for 37 games before you uh, went to Brooks. Was that a trade? Did Brooks uh, reach out and, and uh, bring you in or did you leave on your own volition? Uh, you know, I think it was a little bit of both. Brooks was, Brooks was asking about me in, in the summer and, and, you know, I, I decided to, to choose Prince George, but you no, know, things weren't, weren't going the best. And, and, you know, Brooks, uh, ended up making that trade for me. And, and I'm super thankful because, uh, that was, that was the best thing that, that could have happened for my hockey career. Well, and then you were there for the rest of that season, uh, for 20 games the next year. And that was the COVID year. So didn't get to play a ton. That must have been awful to go through. I mean, at that age, yeah. to correct me if I'm wrong, I think that probably would have been your NHL draft year or the year before was somewhere in there. Uh, but to not be able to play for yep. basically outside of 20 games, 
that must have been really difficult, even just from a mental perspective, let alone a development wise. Yeah, it was uh, it was a really difficult time mentally. You can't see your family. You know, it's it's tough, and and there's no fans in the rink, and mm-hmm. you don't really know if you're uh, if you're gonna play that weekend. And things get shut down Friday morning when you're supposed to have a game Friday night. It it's really hard on you mentally, but you know, it's just it, it was a time. But I'm uh, I'm definitely glad we got through it. And last year, 139 points in 60 games, which is uh, just ridiculous numbers uh, in the AJHL uh, with the Brooks Bandits uh, champion again. And, uh, I mean, they're doing it again this year. That's just such a dominant franchise. Ryan Papawano has got such a good program there. Why? Year after year, the Bandits are always one of the top teams in the entire country. What's uh, what's going on there? Yeah, you know, I, I, I can't speak highly enough on, on, uh, Ryan Papuano over there and what he does. That guy's, uh, that guy's, that guy's one of, if not the best beside Pat, uh, the coaches that I've ever played with, his, his offensive mind and, and what he knows how to do. And, you know, he just put me, put me in an opportunity that I, that I was there and, and I could succeed. And, you know, I, I can't thank him enough, but the city of Brooks is, is awesome and it's a, it's a hockey town and, you know, we have a, there's an unbelievable facility there with a, with a gym right inside the rink. And, you know, you don't see that a lot in the AJ, but, but Brooks is special. 57 goals last year and 82 points. Uh, and kind of a similar situation this year, seven goals and 22 assists. A lot more assists than goals, yet you can score too. Do you see yourself more as a playmaker though? Uh, I would like to say I see myself as, as a little bit of both. You know, it's, it's, but when you got a guy that, that last year, like TJ Hughes could score like that. And, you know, I got a guy this year in Jason Pullen that can, I can also put it in that at an unbelievable rate. So, you know, I, uh, I definitely like to pass too. Now, TJ, you just mentioned TJ Hughes. I think he's playing in Michigan, right? Uh, and you guys have crossed paths. Uh, yep. do you have a chance to talk before or after yep. a game or now that you're on different teams, do you, is that kind of faux pas? No, uh, we, uh, we still, we still text each other almost every day. And, <laughs> you know, when we played each other, it, it was, uh, it was pretty funny to, to see him on the other side but you know we got some pictures before the game and and we uh we ended up meeting up after the game to to have a quick chat but you know i that guy that guy's awesome now you'd mentioned that western michigan a few years ago had reached out to you did you know anything about the program or heck where it was or anything about the college path at, at that point and, and maybe after looking into it why did it become clear that it was the right program for you uh no i i actually didn't know too much about the program i, I knew about the league and, and the nchc how it was uh it was probably one of the best colleges or conferences in college hockey so i knew uh, i knew that would be a good decision and you know talked to my family about it and and did a little more research and about the about the crowd that they get and and just uh the nhl players they produce so and then i felt like it was the right fit now who would have reached out to you back then because it's not the head, it wouldn't have been the head coach that you have now and pat Fershwell. or it would have been would have been coach murray yeah it was uh it was coach murray and, and dave shyak and Dave actually coaches over at uh, St. Cloud now. Obviously, it's working out for you. Did you ever have a consideration where you were going to go wherever those guys went? Not really. In, in junior, I, I just kind of was deciding what to do if, if you know that was that was the best option. But then Pat and Pat and JJ called me right away, and, and you know they just they just kind of explained like the new things that they're going to do, and you know Pat Pat's going to play a little more offensive style, which I which I like to hear, and you know uh, I'm just glad it worked out. Well, it definitely is working out. You and your two line mates are top three, three of four in the top scoring uh, right now for NCAA hockey. That's that's mind blowing. And uh, you know, you got another Canadian uh, doing pretty well, and Adam Fantilli right behind you. Well, four points back of you. Uh, good to see the Canadians uh, doing so well down south. Uh, Ryan, listen, I really appreciate your time, man. Uh, best of luck the rest of the way this year. And but maybe before I let you go, is you know you're 
a free agent now. You're too old for the draft. Do you spend much time thinking about what comes next, or are you living in the in the in the present, just concentrating on this season and let what happens in the off season happen then? Yeah, you know, obviously, obviously, you think about it a little bit, but I would say right now, you know, I'm just kind of taking it day by day and game by game, and you know, just 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 living in the moment with the team, and you know, just enjoying my time, and and you know, whatever happens, happens, and I'm just gonna make the whatever decisions best for me at the end. Awesome. Ryan, I really appreciate it, man. Best of luck the rest of the way this year. Thank you. Ryan McAllister from the Western Michigan Broncos is absolutely on fire to uh, start this season. The NCHC Rookie of the Week and NCHC Rookie of the Month uh, for November. No surprise there. I think he was Rookie of the Week uh, two weeks in a row uh, in November. Absolutely fantastic start uh, for him with his college career and just another... uh, alum from the Brooks Bandits that's uh, off to a terrific beginning here. Now, we've talked about how dominant Brooks is in the AJHL. They and the Spruce Grove Saints, year after year after year, they're the top two teams in the league. And some question on whether that's good for the AJHL or not, but uh, no question that as a program, the Bandits uh, have to be considered one of the best in uh, all of the CJHL. All right, up next, uh, we're going to chat with the head coach of the Saskatoon Blades as the Blades uh, come through Alberta this week. They're taking on the Oil Kings. That's a Wednesday night game, which uh, another peek behind the curtain. It's Wednesday when I'm speaking with you right now and recording this segment. So that game is tonight. But we're talking about how successful the Blades have been so far this season, but also a lot about his career. And really interesting conversation I had with uh, Coach Sonny, guy who played for the Everett Silvertips, then ended his WHL career with uh, a brief stint with the Red Deer Rebels and then finished it out with the Edmonton Oil Kings, and that was their expansion season. Uh, and then from there, coached a little bit with Everett and then went to France for four years as a head coach and then has now come back uh, to coach the Saskatoon Blades. Really interesting uh, story, great conversation, really insightful. I think you're going to enjoy it a lot. That's next, Brennan Sonny of the Saskatoon Blades you're listening to the Pipeline Show, brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. Smirnoff breaks across, turns it over to Allison. Here he comes, one on one. Allison, deep left, shoots, scores! He undressed a defender at the right slot. He went backhander, turned to the forehand, and wristed it under Wishow. Hey, I'm Wade Allison from the Tri City Storm, and you're listening to the Pipeline Show. She's the girl of my dream, she's the girl of my She's playing me for a fool, cause she's the hunting kind. Passion, talent, development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 93% rate. Trevor Zegras. And they score on the lacrosse move. Jake Gensel. Gensel banks it towards the goalie. Score. Kale McCarr. Kale McCarr. He scores. Stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you're a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. My goodness. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. You're listening to The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. I got a fever. And the only prescription is more cowbell. We're back on The Pipeline Show with Guy Flaming. It's the final segment for this week's episode. Of course, the program brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky. It's Alberta's best beef jerky. and You can get it anywhere in Western Canada. They will ship it to you. Just go to their website at wilhockbeefjerky.com. Uh, we're going to end this week's episode uh, looking at the Ontario Hockey League and specifically at the North Bay Battalion, who are in first place in their division, one of the top teams once again 
in the OHL. And the uh, fellow who is calling the games for the uh, battalion is uh, Matt Sukram. Uh, Matt, welcome to the Pipeline Show. It's the first time I've had a chance to uh, chat with you. So welcome to the show, and how are things? Uh, thanks so much for having me, Guy. It's uh, awesome uh, to be on the show, and things are going well. You know, for a couple of years where the battalion weren't one of the top teams in the OHL, it was almost a, almost like a drag to go to the rink. Of course, I should say that because we do have one of the best jobs in the world, right? We get to go to the hockey rink and watch hockey for a living. But, yeah, when, when you knew that they weren't going to be playing well, uh, to, to get out in minus 30 weather, to drag yourself to the rink sometimes, it was always like, uh, is this worth it? But now the battalion are making it worth it. So, Well, I can tell you've been looking at the WHL standings because the Edmonton Oil Kings are in a – 22nd place in a 22-team <laughs> league, so I know what you're talking about right now. Let's focus on the battalion and, and what's gone right so far, because from the outside looking in, there there are some names we recognize, certainly an Edmonton Oiler prospect that uh, fans here are, are paying attention to, but what's the, the general identity of this team? They are a fast-moving team, a lot of really good puck-handling skills, like guys that can just find each other on the ice, which is a huge asset in junior hockey because a lot of times you get into these situations where guys just aren't used to that, that age differential, right? From 16 to 20 year olds. And, you know, they're just not sure where they should be on the ice. Sometimes they're not sure where their uh, where their teammates are going to be on the ice at times. And so this battalion team is, has a lot of guys that just know where to put the puck in the right situation. Their team, like I said, that has a lot of speed, a lot of guys on this roster like to utilize that speed. Um, there are games where they just open things up and that neutral zone becomes almost non-existent because those passes from defensive zone to, to the opposite blue line just come in blinding speed. And it's something that other teams just haven't been able to get a track on on this battalion team yet. Um, they're not an overly physical team, but there's been times where when it got into those grinding kind of games they show that they can skate with teams like that as well so they're just a very well-balanced team and this is a team that likes to score they don't have one or two guys that are kind of running away with the point totals but it's an entire team effort it really is from the uh, top three lines down uh, and even to some of the guys on the blue line they have a lot of guys that like to shoot the puck and like to find the back of the net. Yeah, I noticed there's uh, half a dozen players on the team with more than 20 points. I know Josh Bloom is a recent acquisition uh, by the club, but uh, it is does look like uh, offense by committee uh, for the North Bay Battalion. Ty Nelson uh, leading the team in scoring by a single point. He's got 29 though on the season, and that's not a surprise. He was one of actually did he did he not lead the OHL in uh, scoring by defenseman last year? Correct me if I'm wrong on that. He didn't lead the. Uh, NHL and scoring by defense, or the OHL and scoring by defense, but he was the top rookie um, in that category, okay. just a couple of points behind the overall leader. But yeah, he was up there, and I actually said on on our podcast, on the Frontline uh, podcast, we we kind of talked about what are some big predictions going into the season, and I said Ty Nelson is going to be a top ten league scorer, not just in defenseman. And everyone kind of laughed and was like, you know, that's a pretty high target to make. And here we are, you know, two two and a half months uh, into the season now, and Ty Nelson is is leading his team in in scoring again, not just for defensemen. So 
Um, I should have put some money on that one. <laughs> now that I think about it, that would have been uh, that probably would have been a good bet. But not only is he leading the team in 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 scoring there, but uh, he he also leads the team in shots, and that is something that really stands out. I think I believe he's averaging uh, five shots per game, which is a lot for mm-hmm. I think uh, a defenseman to have. Um, especially in this day and age of the NHL where it's a lot of cycle move or the OHL where it's a lot of cycle movement and, and trying to find those guys uh, down low in the zone. Right. But yeah, he, he'll come in, he'll blast them from the point on, on the rush. He'll wait for, you know, he'll wait for his opportunities to find the puck in the offensive zone and then he'll shoot it in. And, and that's the scary thing with his shot is that they actually get all the way through and wind up on target. But yeah, he's a, he's a force back there and, you know, we like to say that he comes as, as advertised because he was the first overall pick in uh, the OHL prior selection in 2020. Mm-hmm. So we actually missed his what would have been his rookie season due to the uh, COVID-19 pandemic. And then he came into year two and no one really knew what to expect. It's like, OK, it's technically his second year, but he hasn't played in over a year. You know, what uh, what is this kid going to, to show us? And he showed exactly why. Uh, GM Adam Dennis was uh, incredibly happy to be picking him first overall. Well, leading the team in scoring might be leading the team in personality too. I remember I had him on the show last year, and I, <laughs> yeah. I really, really enjoyed chatting with him. And then we see him at the draft, and uh, the Seattle drafts him, and he's well, got to be because the, the outfit and the hat—it was just—it was awesome. Uh, he, yeah. he just seems like he's a lot of fun. <laughs> he really is. And so there, a couple weeks ago, there was. Uh, uh, country night at, uh, at at Memorial Gardens. It was sponsored by one of the local uh, radio stations here. And and after the game, Ty Nelson came out wearing a cowboy hat. And then uh, a couple of days later, he, uh, him, and a couple other battalion were at my my kids um, Timbits uh, Learn to Skate program. So I skated over to him and I said, "Hey, man, where's the cowboy hat?" He's like, "No, not out here. Safety first, kind of thing." So. Yeah, he's uh, he's got some personality to him. Uh, he just gets it, that's for sure. Uh, all right, tell me about the uh, net mining situation for the battalion this year. I know uh, the Winnipeg Jets drafted the goaltender way uh, late in the seventh round, one of the uh, last players taken in the uh, draft. But uh, Dom, Div- see, I'm going to butcher it. You say it all the time, so I'm going to let you handle it. But Dom is playing pretty well. Yeah, Dom DiVincentis, he has, uh, no problem, he has been a rock back there, which has been awesome to see. And he kind of overtook Joe Verbedek, who's now playing um, uh, with Laval in the AHL this year uh, after being drafted by Montreal. Um, he Dom kind of overtook the number one job from him late into the postseason last year. Um Joe Verbenek had, had a really solid season as the number one guy, played in over 40 games, and, and Dom was uh, backing him up. And he got in under just, just under 30 regular season games. And then in the playoffs, uh, Joe just had a, a rough game in, uh, in the second round. And so they put Dom in. And Dom kind of carried them through the second round and into uh, the, Eastern Conference semif- uh, uh, the Eastern Conference Finals against Hamilton. And it, it didn't matter who was going to be in that in, in that series as Hamilton, as the Hamilton Bulldogs proved that no one was going to stop them mm-hmm. on their way to a uh, East uh, to a Eastern Conference uh, uh, championship there. But uh, I think Dom got a lot of experience in that series, 
and he has just been awesome watch. He's such a solid guy on the back end. He just is so square to the puck, doesn't give up a ton of rebounds. He had one pretty um, awful game in Windsor where it seemed like everything that bounced off him went right back to a Windsor player's stick. And I believe they ended up losing that game, something like 6-1 to one or 6-2, to two, I think. Um, but since then, it, it, there's been, barely been a blemish on his mark. Um, he's, you know, tops around the league in, in goals against average and save percentage. And um, he's a guy that I think a lot of teams are going to look back on and say, why didn't we pick up this game or why didn't we pick up this guy earlier on in the draft? And I think that happens for a lot of goalies. Um, NHL teams just kind of go, you know, we need, we need to select our players first and then we'll worry about our goaltending situation. But yeah, I think the Winnipeg Jets might have stolen stolen a real quality netminder in, uh, in Dom DiVincentis. And um, he unfortunately had to deal with a, uh, he had to undergo a concussion protocol um, just this past week. He got bumped in practice last Tuesday. And so that kept him out of the weekend games last week. So they, they go up against Ottawa, who's the number one team in uh, the league, if not the number one team in the CHL right now. And their backup, Charlie Robertson, uh, puts up an 18-save shutout. And you're like, <laughs> okay, Dom can maybe take his time. And, and uh, you know, we're okay. And then the battalion go on to lose the next two. And it's like, okay, we really need Dom back now. <laughs> like Sooner than later would be great. And he backed up uh, Robertson in last night's win over Sudbury on the Wednesday night. So I believe uh, since he was on the bench for that game, he should be getting back into game action relatively soon. But... Yeah, again, just a guy that's so solid, so square the puck, doesn't give up a ton of rebounds, and and uh, really, really good at uh, at using the glove hand. Like there aren't too many guys that are able to beat him on his glove side. Matt Sukram is the uh, voice of the North Bay Battalion, my guest here on the Pipeline Show. Uh, all right, we've gone uh, over ten minutes, and I haven't asked you specifically about the Edmonton Oilers prospect. Uh, that would be Matt Petrov, <laughs> uh, who had such a fantastic year last year: forty goals, ninety points in just sixty-three games. He's not at that sort of uh, torrid scoring pace this year, but how's he played, in your opinion? He's been fantastic. Um, again, he's on a he's penciled in on the third line uh, with a uh, fellow. Uh, Russian uh, Nikita Tarasevich, who actually pretty much grew up in the United States. He doesn't count as one of the import picks, but um, I, I feel like head coach Ryan Olihan paired Petrov up with Tarasevich just because it was just a matter of trying to overcome that language barrier more for Tarasevich than it was um, for Petrov on the ice, because when they are down there, I've had my guys uh, on our broadcast standing in between the benches listening in, and they are game planning in Russia. So there's obviously something in there that's working uh, because Tarasevich has come on really strong and almost every goal that he scored has been set up by Petrov. But for Edmonton Oiler fans, they are going to be excited to see Mave Petrov in a couple of years with that team. And I mean, he's already impressed the team, right? Last year, um, he stuck around at main camp uh, in his first go-around with the Edmonton Oilers uh, organization. So they're obviously thinking very, very highly of him. And like I said about uh, Dom, he might be someone that NHL teams look back on and say, 
man, we really missed an opportunity to drop this kid a couple rounds higher. But yeah, Petrov, again, not putting up the points like he did last year when he was playing on top line with guys like Brandon Cohen and Mitchell Russell who are now themselves playing in the AHL. But he's been tasked to be the leader on this third line with uh, with a couple of uh, younger players. And, and I think he's done really well um, on that team. And what's interesting is he is actually the battalion active leader in both points and goals. And again, he's only in his uh, first season and three months of his OHL career. I mean, that just shows you the um, how much uh, this team has needed uh, to inject a guy with offensive potential like Matve Petro for the last couple of years. So it's uh, it's really fun to see uh, what he's been able to do in his short time with this team. Matt, the, uh, the general manager of the team is Adam Dennis. Uh, fairly recently went out and made a acquisition uh, trade with the Saginaw Spirit, brought in a couple of players in uh, Braden Hislop, defenseman, and, and Josh Bloom, a, a forward. Uh, th- what have those guys added to the team, and does this signal that uh, North Bay is going for it uh, to some extent this year, and do you expect more trades? So uh, on the first part, yes, I think it signals that they are going for it. I think that was maybe evident right out of the gate this season, considering they didn't lose a ton um, this this uh, past year um, in terms of their overagers. Yes, they lost a couple of their top scores in Brandon Cohen and and Mitch Russell. Um, and then, of course, their number one starting goalie in, in Joe Verbitic. But as discussed, you know, Dom has stepped in beautifully on the back end. And then uh, with the scoring, again, it's been scoring by committee, not just one guy like a Brandon Coe or a Mitchell Russell that's kind of been running away with it. So in that instance, I think it was already signaled that because they got to the Eastern Conference Finals last year, it was like now we're going to try to take that next step. And this is a move. That signifies it. You get the 19-year-old Josh Bloom, who has been able to put up points over his career. He jumps in and uh, gives you a little bit more depth and a little bit more speed on probably a depth line. Right now, one of the uh, the bigger scores for the North Bay Battalion, and Kyle McDonald has been out, um, I believe, with a lower body injury for the last uh, uh, couple of weeks now and basically the the day the first day that he missed a game was Josh Bloom's first game so you're almost going I can't wait to see both these guys mm. both these 19 year olds or sorry uh, Kyle McDonald's an overager but can't wait to see these two guys in the lineup at the same time they play a very similar style they both skate fast and it's just yeah it's just a move up front for them to get deeper because what they realized when they played against the Hamilton Bulldogs is when they added a guy like uh, Mason McTavish to a team that could already score, it just made it so much harder to game plan against, so much harder to figure out what lines you're going to put out there when you know that all three lines have the capability of putting the puck in the net. So Josh Bloom comes over as the scoring depth. He was Saginaw's captain as well. So he brings a lot of experience and leadership uh, to the team as well. On the back end, you bring in a guy, Braden Hislop, who's a 19-year-old left-shot D who just has such good hockey IQ back there. I know that word kind of gets thrown around a lot, but Hislop, his first game, basically I think his first shift, he was showing exactly why they picked him up. It's because there was a sequence where the battalion kept the puck in the zone for almost 
three to three and a half minutes because Braden Hislop was going uh, uh, board to board, making sure the puck didn't leave the zone. He was getting down on one knee to block the puck. He was throwing his body against the boards, blocking the puck, and just trying to keep that cycle game alive. It was like, okay, this is why they got him. This is a guy who understands the importance of wearing down the other team in the offensive zone and just keeping the pressure on on the uh, on the opposite team. And he's not going to put up a lot of points. He's been paired with Ty Nelson on the uh, top pairing blue line. Mm-hmm. So he might be able to pick up some assists from all those uh, Nelson shots uh, from the point. But again, what he does is he controls the zone. He's he has a great awareness for where the puck is, where the team is, and he has just been a stalwart in the defensive end. He is a hard guy to get the puck past. So, yeah, he's been an awesome pickup. And so for um, uh, Adam Dennis, I think what this move does is it enables him to not have to get into a bidding war later down the line. So he's going to have two defensemen possibly coming back later who are hurt right now in Avery Winslow and Tanias Mathurin. And those are guys that should be part of, if not your top six, at least your top four. So again, that builds into the whole overall depth of adding in Braden Hislop in the back end. And then with Josh Bloom, if there's a team out there that all of a sudden is trending upwards and then they go, okay, now we need a 19-year-old score. Well, now Adam Dennis isn't competing necessarily find that specific guy now he's kind of got the freedom to kind of plug in holes where he sees fit as this team heads towards the postseason it was interesting to see north bay and saginaw actually execute a trade between the two of them they're both leading their respective divisions (laughs) you don't see that very often it's it was kind of puzzling from the outside looking in I, i i know that saginaw then flipped one of the picks that they got from uh, from North Bay in the the trade where they picked up Hunter Haight from uh, the Barry Colts. They did. Are there still one or two players around the OHL that everybody is expecting is going to be on the market and, and moved before the deadline? And I'm not saying specifically that North Bay is uh, looking for those guys, but uh, are there still some big pieces available out there? I think as the season goes on, there probably will be. Um I mean, I'm I'm surprised uh, the Barry Colts moved a guy like that. I really like hate to uh, to uh, Saginaw. I really thought that the Barry Colts could uh, could use a guy like that down uh, down the stretch, but um, maybe they're not uh, maybe they're not poised to uh, to go for it uh, and compete in the Central Division as as most people think. I think there's a couple of big names on Mississauga as well. That if Mississauga um, starts to fall back a bit and and thinks that okay maybe this year we can't compete with the North Bay I think there are some big guys on that team like a a Del Bell Belouz who uh who just signed with uh I believe the Minnesota Wild um with an entry-level contract he's a guy that could be looked at as a huge piece uh to be moved at the trade deadline so at least in the central division it, it's kind of like if the North Bay Battalion are really going to go for it they they've kind of made their 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 big swing at uh at what they need to do trade-wise right now and now it's kind of like let the market play out and see what happens and if there's a fit let's let's make it happen but i don't know if they're in a huge rush to do it um but yeah as for around the ohl i mean there i feel like there's always a team that always kind of comes out of nowhere and and makes that splashy deal um uh you know i i thought the hamilton bulldogs were good last year and then they 
added guys like Mason McTavish and, and Arbor Jack guy. And it was kind of like, okay, we, we can see exactly where these guys are going right. now. So yeah, I think, uh, I think there might be a team um, coming out of that, uh, that East division that might be uh, poised to make a move like that. If Kingston got Shane right back from the Seattle uh, uh, Kraken, do they keep him or do they think they flip him right away? And maybe that's a condition from Seattle's perspective is that we'll send him back, but you got to say, you got to trade him to a, a contending team or something like that. We saw that here in the WHL years ago with the Edmonton Oilers and Leon Dreisaitl, where basically the Edmonton Oilers executed a, a WHL trade deadline deal uh, with uh, Prince Albert and Kelowna. So it wouldn't be the first time. Uh, but w- if, if he goes back to the OHL, do you expect that he gets uh, immediately traded? I don't know if he does immediately, but, you know, there there is a team uh, up north that uh, has two other Seattle Kraken draft fits yep. uh, uh, playing for them. So, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting. Uh, those rumors are always out there. But, yeah, I think if, if Kingston continues to be kind of like a 500 team and just doesn't take a step forward, um, I think it would probably be in their best interest to move to move a guy like Shane Wright, um, just to kind of restock and reload for for that next run. Yeah. Um, it, again, if they if they continue to be that 500 team, and again, it might be something that Seattle says. But like I said, you know, Seattle's got two draft picks currently playing <laughs> for the North Bay Battalion in uh, Ty Nelson and uh, and Kyle Jackson. So you know, there there might be a fit right there. Um, if uh, if uh, Kingston decides, well, if Shane Shane Wright's coming back, but uh, we're not uh, we're not going for it this year. Well, that's a good sales pitch, Matt. Uh, I'm sure Seattle will <laughs> take that under advisement. Uh, this is great. I appreciate your time. Uh, I'm sure. Uh, I hope you don't mind if I call you again. No, not at all. This was great. Thanks for having me. There was Matt Sukram, the uh, voice of the North Bay Battalion. First time that he's been on the show. Definitely will not be the last time. Great job, Matt. The Battalion, one of the interesting teams to uh, watch for in the Ontario Hockey League as uh, you look at the standings, and it's it seems like it's a pretty tight race. In the Eastern Conference, at the top of the East Division, you got Ottawa with uh, 38 points. That's a pretty healthy lead over the Peterborough Peets, but the uh, the Peets have been active here in the trade market as well. Then North Bay is uh, leading the Central Division. They've got 32 points, and on the West side, it's a tight race. London and uh, Owen Sound separated by one point right now uh, atop the Midwest Division and uh, the Saginaw Spirit, as I mentioned in the interview, uh, leading the West Division. All of those teams that I just mentioned have 30-something points, so it's a neck-and-neck race uh, at the top of the OHL standings. That's going to make for exciting hockey in the second half and down the stretch. Just the three guests this week, unfortunately, I had a... uh, I had hopes of having a Swedish player who's going to be playing in the World Junior A Challenge uh, next week in uh, Cornwall, Ontario. Uh, that just didn't come to fruition. Uh, potentially, we'll get him next week, but I can't promise that. But I did have three pretty good guests, and I appreciate all of their time uh, to uh, come on the program this week. And I appreciate everyone who has been signing up to be a patron at patreon.com slash show. That support goes a long way. I appreciate that. And... Uh, I hope you appreciate early access to all the interviews that you hear on a full episode of the show or that the general public hears on a full episode. They have to wait, though. If you're a patron, you get early access, and you can hear the interviews not that long after they're actually conducted. And uh, once I edit them down and upload it, quite often it's uh, half an hour after the interview, sometimes an hour, sometimes three or four hours. But 
always well before the general public. So if that's something that it would interest you, check out patreon.com slash show. We're now officially into December, which means we uh, start turning our attention to the World Junior Championship. But with the World Junior A Challenge next week, we'll have to keep tabs on that as well. So lots of international hockey coming up in December. Until then, get out and watch some junior or college hockey so that we can talk about it next week right here on The Pipeline Show. It's brought to you by Wilhock Beef Jerky, and my name is Guy Flaming. See ya!